Thank you, Elisa. We uh, have just started a series called Created for Community, and uh, we're in week two of it. It's going to go on uh, up till close to Easter, to mid-March. And um, just a quick recap, um, last week we read Matthew 28, uh, the end of Matthew 28, and we saw Jesus' great commission that he gives to his disciples. And one of the things that he said that we looked at last week was you're to make disciples by going out and serving others and sharing your faith. And so that was kind of that emphasis that we looked at last week. Next week, Justin Early will be here to preach. I, I think maybe we have a slide in the announcements section if you can find that and put that up. If not, that's okay. Don't worry about it. To growing as followers of Jesus and how we can't really experience God without knowing something about him through other people that were designed and created for community in that way. He's recently written a book called Made for People, and so he'll uh, be here to preach and also have a Sunday school class afterwards with some discussion in that, and we'll be talking about some, some broader family dynamics and all of this and how uh, people are created for community. But today, we're going to look at gathering people into hospitable worship. And so as we do that, let me uh, read Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, so not a long text here, just follow along with me and hear the word of the Lord. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. So we are created for community, meant to be people who gather others in to worship the living God. And to do that in such a way that's hospitable. Now that word I might need to explain because you might think hospitable. Hospital? Are we talking about a hospital? Not really, but it actually works because hospitals for the sick, for the wounded, for the hurting, and so is the church. Um, but hospitable, right, like hospitality, like welcoming. And in Scripture, when we think of the hospitality in it, and when Paul talks about that in the epistles, in the letters that he writes, he talks about hospitality to strangers, right? And it's this, the word is actually love of strangers, it's to be hospitable means to love people, even people you don't know. And the church is to be marked by people who love people, even if they don't know them. And they welcome them in. And so, I want to talk to you about this in, with three points, because usually, well, just because there's three today. Um, gathering people requires welcoming and hospitable people. It means we, we ourselves have to be welcoming and hospitable and to others. And that means we got to welcome sinful and weary people. We're welcoming sinful and weary people. Why? Because we all are. We're all sinful people. So what other choice do we have but to welcome people who are sinful? Because that's everybody on the planet, according to the scriptures. That, that no one measures up to God's perfect standard, that we've all fallen short of it. We all screw up in different ways. And so we're sinners saying to other sinners, hey, come on, we're beggars and we found out where to get the best meal ever. Jesus has it. So we welcome 
We welcome prodigals with open arms, just like Jesus tells the story of the father with his arms open, welcoming the prodigal who is returning home. We need to be welcoming and friendly people, and we are, and we aim to be people who, who uh, welcome others with open arms. It's, that's what we want to do. It's what we try to do. I think we do it pretty well as a church. But there is this tension in there, right? Like, oh, yeah, welcoming, but, you know, I mean, sometimes I don't feel like it, or I'm introverted, which is okay. Like, welcome one instead of six. Or just say hi to somebody. Or, or you know, I, I've got enough friends already. I don't need any more. Yeah, but welcoming and hospitality is to say, we are glad you are with us. We want you here. I, I think many times we think of, People in church who, you know, they've got life, what seems like their life is together. And it always seems that way. Because when you look below the surface, nobody's got it all together. But it seems that way because, like, well, they go to Bible study and, I don't know, their marriage seems generally healthy and um, they must be good. But, and maybe they are, but maybe they don't know how to love deeply. Maybe without the woundedness and the brokenness, they haven't learned how to love deeply. Francis Schaeffer, who was a, a pastor 50 years ago or so, um, an author, um, lived in both in the United States pastoring and part of this denomination, and also was worked in Switzerland um, in a place called Labrie Fellowship. And he would take people in who would come and live like in this commune together, and they'd work together, and they would talk about life and God and philosophy and art and all kinds of things. He said this, he said, biblical orthodoxy, that is those who want to do everything just right and know what's right, biblical orthodoxy without compassion is surely the ugliest thing in the world. And he's right. Like the church isn't a place to just where you go and you go, I got it all right, I'm right. It's a place where we're to be loving of others. People who know they are desperately in need of Jesus will eagerly welcome others to Jesus as well. You know, I, one of the models that the church ought to, in some ways, resemble is AA. Right? You go to AA, you show up, you sit down, you're welcome. Glad you're here. Tell us your name. Right? It's no judgment. Like, we'll walk with you through whatever you got going on. And the church, in that way, should be open arms, welcoming people in. And not only do we welcome sinful and weary people, because we are, but we welcome people from all nations, right? He says to go and make disciples of all the nations. And then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, right? And so we are to gather people from all nations to be worshipers of Christ. And we do that in all kinds of ways by sending missionaries out across uh, oceans and to different places around the world. But we do that right here in our own community too. It's part of what we're supposed to do. Let me, let me just show you two verses that where we get this other than Matthew where it talks about the nations in this way. Isaiah 66, uh, verse 18 says, And I, this is the Lord speaking, And I, because of what they have planned and done, am about to come and gather the people of all nations and languages, and they will come and see my glory. And he's talking about the Messiah that is to come. Then Revelation, chapter 5, verse 9, talks about this vision that John has of heaven and what's going on, right? And he says, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain 
Right? This is talking about the lamb, that, the, that Christ is the lamb. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And so in that way, like, we are to be a church that welcomes all the nations. One of the ways that we talk about that is that we want to be a church that proclaims the diversity of God's kingdom, all peoples, and reflects the diversity of our community. And we're not there yet. We've got a ways to go on that. But we do have people from all kinds of places, all around the world, from Europe, from Africa, um, from Latin America, all over the place, people gathering. And we need that. That's healthy. That's a good thing. World Magazine reported a story several years ago about a family in North Korea. If you don't know much about North Korea, it is um, extremely poor, highly persecuted toward religious people. It's a communist country. And um, because of that and funding of the military, the, most of the people are starving. And this one family, the dad decided, can't do it. Got to get my family out. So he tried. He tried to get out. He got caught and he was killed. Left a daughter and his wife, uh, two daughters. The older daughter was taken into sex trafficking. Her mother at that point says, we can't stay and we're starving we got to go so the mother and her younger uh, youngest daughter leave and they, they sneak across the border into china and there they're tending sheep struggling to survive in the cold and they're like they don't know if they're going to make it and the young girl hears a sound from across the field and there's there's a building over there a house and so they go toward the sound of the house and they hear something unique People singing. Like, who's singing? And they go into the house, and it's a church that is gathered there in China, and they welcome these foreigners in. And they say, don't worry. This is where the wounded and weary are welcome. Come on in. And that girl and her mother become Christians and followers of Jesus in that place. You see, this is the way that the church is beautiful when they gather people in and welcome and say, yes, come, come follow Jesus with us. But not only are we welcoming and uh, gathering people, welcoming and hospitably, but we are gathering people into a name and a family. It's said there that, that the part of the job of us as followers of Jesus as we go out is these making disciples as we go out, but then baptizing them into the name, right? That is saying, Okay, we're gathering you in, and as we gather you in, you get baptized into the name. Now, if that sounds like a gang initiation, it probably should, because there's some similarities, right? I mean, this is true of any social group, like you coming into the group, all right, you're going to get initiated. Now, the difference in the church and a gang is a lot of times in gangs, not every gang, but a lot of times in gangs, you've got to kill somebody to get in the gang. In the church, somebody's got to die for you get in so you got to receive the death of somebody else of Jesus who covers your sins and says welcome come and so yes it's this initiation ceremony of coming in 
baptizing. It's not only just an initiation ceremony, it's a cleansing ceremony, right? It signifies the washing away of sins. But here's the thing. To come then means you, you only need cleansing if you're dirty, right? If you're unclean. And that means you got to know that. you got to be like, even if you're like, I'm, I don't know, I'm doing okay. Doing okay for myself. i got life together pretty good, and generally I'm a good person. I'm not in trouble. The police aren't trying to arrest me or anything. That's great. We need all of those people in society. But the police standards or society standards are one thing, and God's standards are an entirely different thing. And his standard is perfection. Have you been perfect in every way morally in your life? And if you haven't, it's kind of like the last drive of a football team when they're like, we're going to score, we're going down. And they throw that last pass and the guy catches it like at the one and he's diving and he gets tackled and he falls that far short. And the referee says, good enough, touchdown. Nope, because you weren't there, it wasn't perfect. God has a perfect standard. And the only one who ever perfectly achieved that standard is his son, Jesus, the Savior, the sacrifice lamb. And so you got to know that. That's what the baptism is. That's the cleansing. The other thing about baptism is, so it's not for innocent people, right? It's for guilty. It's, it's passive. You receive it. It's not something you do. You receive it from, from a minister of the church, right? It's, it's God's promise to you more than it is your promise to God right? Baptism's significant. When you come, you're saying something like, yes, I need Jesus, and I need his washing. I need that. I want that. But you aren't doing the washing. You're getting washed. You are receiving the promises of God on your behalf to say, you are my child, you are my beloved, and I welcome you, and I am putting my name on you. Right? Because think of it this way. If baptism is all about your promise to God and how good you're going to be, and then you leave and next week you go and you mess up, how good was that promise? Right? What you're saying in baptism is not how good I am, but how much I desperately need Christ. And you are receiving the promises of God to say, I am for you. I cleanse you and I put my name on you because baptism is this naming ceremony, right? And to get baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, the naming ceremony shows the action of God pronouncing his blessing upon the people. It gives you a new identity, a new name, that you are now covered by Christ in his life, his death, and his resurrection. Now this is good news. Because when you get this new name, it means, among other things, that so much of the comparison games that we like to play in life should stop. Because when you get baptized in the name, you don't see me up here going, I baptize you into the gold status of the church. And you over here, I'm going to baptize you into the bronze status because you ain't got quite all your stuff together yet. And then what we do, there's no status you get other than the status of covered by the blood and under the name of Jesus. That's your status. And that's the same for everybody. And so we are loved by Jesus in that way. That's what we need. We're all beggars in need of Christ. Our status is redeemed. You're baptized in the name and family of God. You've been adopted into his family. You take on a new identity. Your identity is not your sexuality or your gender. It's not that you're athletic, musical, or artistical. 
It's not in your wealth or your success or your failure. Your identity is in Christ, and it's his identity and his righteousness for you that makes you part of the family. It's this trade. It's this trade where you say, okay, God, here I am. Here's who I am. And he says, yeah, take, take my identity. Take my name, take my record, and let it be attributed to you that you become part of the family. In World War I, there was many wounded men in a foxhole. And this conversation was overheard by a man who was dying and another one next to him. And the dying man said, listen, Dominic, you've led a bad life. You're wanted by the police. But there are no convictions against me, no police after me, no crimes in my name. My name is clear. Take my wallet, take my papers now, and quickly give me yours that I might take you in your name with me to death. You see the trade? You get a new identity. Your identity is in Christ and what he has done for you. If you have not yet been cleansed, if you haven't been baptized into the family, then I plead with you to do that. Come to Jesus. Say, I, I need the cleansing. Come, come talk to me. Come talk to a pastor and say, yeah, I'm there. I, I want to believe. I want to get baptized. And, and if you have been baptized, maybe you're, maybe you're a child. You got baptized as a child, right? Because we baptize children. It means you got all the signs. You got said, hey, you're welcome. You can take on the name of the family. You're an heir to the kingdom. You get all the benefits and privileges of this, but you know what? You got to take ownership of it. You got to claim the promise. God put his promise on you. You got to claim it. It's like you got a gift card sitting in your wallet and you're not using it. So if you're a kid that's been baptized, at some point you've got to say, you know what, I've got I to take that promise of all that money that's on that gift card, and I've got to go cash that in and say, okay, God, yeah, I need it. Last point today to talk about is gathering for the worship of God with humbleness and joyfulness. So if we are gathering people into the kingdom gathering people into God's family and putting his name on them and saying, you are welcome here because we are all standing on, this, on the same footing before the cross of Jesus. And we're gathering together before God who is that great and that good that he would trade places with us, die in our place and give us his identity. Boy, that better make us worship. Like, wow, this God is awesome. He is great. He is mighty. He is good. See what the Lord has done. And don't worry. Right? It moves us to worship. And so we worship with humbleness and joyfulness. Humbleness because we come before the creator and the judge of the universe. Man, that's humbling. But also humbled because we are redeemed sinners by that creator and judge of the universe. And that means we got to be joyful. It means you should get exercised. You should get worked up. Now, that's different for everybody. We all got different personalities. I get that. But you get exercised about different things, right? I mean, how exercised do you get about the playoffs or the games last night? Any of you cheering, yelling at the TV? I got a son. I won't name which one. Who, when he watches a Premier League game, 
stands in front of the TV. He's about six feet from it. Come on, ref! I mean, he is worked up. He, I think he thinks everybody can hear him through the TV. Like he's talking to the coach. You should do this. He is exercised. He is worked up. Maybe, maybe you get exercised about politics in an election year. I mean, it's election year. People do. Maybe you get excite, excited and exercised about performers. Maybe you're a Swifty. Maybe you want to go to the sphere. Maybe it's somebody else. I don't know, whatever. But look, there are things in life that get us going. Like we're like, yeah, we're excited and passionate about this, right? I wonder sometimes if we show up to worship thinking, got it. If you, if, if you get exercised enough, you might upset the apple cart. All right. All right. Thank you. Just, we're going to put them in there backwards. We don't, it's all good. I'll just, that, that's getting exercised right there. Thank you. Thank you, Royal. Thank you, Royal. Come on. Like, if we can get exercised about all these things in life, shouldn't we be joyful about God? We should be. We should be. I wonder if we show up thinking maybe he isn't that good. And I get it, it's a little different, right? When, when you go to a game, there's that moment, there's that intensity, the clock's on, it's ticking, like you know it's going to happen, right? And I, please, I don't, don't come looking at me to be the performer or like the game. That's not the deal here, right? We're looking to God. But I pray that we are more passionate about God than we are politics, performers, and playoffs. That we desire to be here gathered together as much as we do to watch that next game, to see who wins the election, or where the next Taylor Swift tour is going to be. Because here's the thing. You won't be passionate about gathering people to God unless you are passionate about God himself. And so worship then involves our whole being. God made us you know, to think, to feel, and to do. He made us with a range of emotions and expressions. And while worship, we come before a holy God, and we ought to come with reverence and awe. We also come bringing our whole body before him to worship God, to worship him. And, and the Psalms are full of this. And, and I, I'm talking about this because... I want us to be like this, and I think we are getting more like this. Like we just sang that great song at the end, like we're, we're like, we're into it. Okay, yeah, we're exercised. And sometimes that's hard for, for people who aren't musical like me. And I can't clap unless I'm watching my wife or Royal going, okay, when are they clapping? Or if I can see the drummer, like, okay, I got it. So um, I get it. Like it's, it's different for everybody. We all come from different cultural experiences where some of those are more reserved and we're just nice and polite and calm in every circumstance and others are like, woohoo, let's go! Like, for whatever it is. Like, if, if you come to my house with four kids, like, even though they're grown, it's loud. If you want to come visit and hang out with my family, come on, but you better bring your earplugs. It's loud. My dad at times is like, I need to go to a different room. It's too loud in here. 
right? We all come from different places. But, but what I want you to see is that that's okay and that's beautiful. It's okay and it's beautiful, but I want you to see the Bible, what it tells us about this, right? So let's just look at a few different things and, and consider some things here. The Bible talks about emotions in the Psalms, which is the worship book for the people of God. It talks about joy, fear, death, delight, being secure and safe, dismayed, disheartened, sorrow, weeping. In Psalm 30, verses 10 to 12, let's put those on the screen for me, if you would. It says, hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever, right? From wailing to dancing, from sorrow to singing in joy, right? We could go on through the Psalms and, and look about how instruments are said, praise them with the tambourine and the trumpet and the, the harp and the lyre, the flute, cymbals and strings, right? Like, Use all these instruments to praise God. It tells us to praise God with our voice in Psalm 100, right? Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. That word is not sing. That word is shout. That could be like an amen, yes. Um, you know, when you're just, you don't sing and you just like to grunt and cheer, yeah. Shout for the Lord, he's good. He's got this. But also singing skillfully. Those of you who can do that, thank you so much for leading us skillfully to sing, to make music. Told to sing and to make psalms and hymns and spiritual songs in Ephesians 5. We're to clap at the beginning of the service during the first song. I was walking around and I saw a little child clapping her hands. I was so delighted because Psalm 47.1 says, Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. Right? Part of what you've got to recognize is that the Psalms, the hymn book for the, for the people of God, some of them are called Psalms of Ascent, um, and that's when there's a festival in Jerusalem happening, and the people are all on their way to gather. They're like walking down the road together, going to the temple, and they're on their way in, and they're singing these songs, and they're clapping, and they're dancing on their way, and they're like, praise the Lord, he is good. Right? That, that's part of what's going on. Or Psalm 134, verse 2. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. Right? Touchdown! See? See how easy they go up? Some of you, like me, Presbyterian hand raising is kind of like at the pocket level. <laughs> it's okay. Get, get, just, I'm not, I'm not telling you that everybody has to raise your hands, and if you don't, you're not doing it right. That's not what I'm saying. Just saying, notice the psalm, just saying, use your whole body, praising God. Psalm 95, 6, come let us bow down in worship and kneel before the Lord. Now, one time we did this several years ago, I was like, if you can kneel, kneel. It was weird, really weird. People are like, this is odd. Because you know what, when your body has to engage in doing something, it changes the way you think and feel about it right? And all my Catholic friends were like, I felt like I was back in the Catholic church. What are, you, what are we doing? We don't kneel all the time, right? But, but to bow down and worship and kneel before God is a, is a position of humility. Say, okay, God, humbly coming before you. Or Psalm 150, verse 4, says to praise him with dancing, praise him with strings and pipe. Now, 
I don't do a lot of dancing. I'm not saying we should do lots of dancing. It certainly should be orderly and not crazy. But we should be moving. It's okay. And if you see people moving and you see me moving and I'm trying to move and I'm swaying and I'm swaying the opposite direction, it's because I don't got any rhythm. It's because I can't do that very well. I got to pick one. Am I going to sway? Am I going to clap? Or am I going to sing? <laughs> it's my choices. Which way is God moving me right now? Is it my voice? My body? Is it my heart? I don't know. I'll be able to be all right because God is good and he's got me. I've been named by him. Point is, the Psalms and the Bible are saying you got to engage your whole being in the worship of God, what you think, you feel, and you do, because we're all brought into God's family. So I'm not telling you you must do it this way. I'm telling you the Bible says it's not just an intellectual exercise to come sit here and think, though it is that. It's not just a feeling exercise to go, oh, I hope I feel better and joy or happiness or delight or content with God today, though it is that. And it's not just, I got to get up and move and clap and say yes, though it, that it can be part of that. Because God, the worship of God shapes the totality of our life. And so that's good. We want that. And that'll look different at different times. There's some days that there will be a service that might be hard things have happened. Like after 9-11 when people gathered, those are pretty somber services. But that's an expression. It's an expression of sorrow and lament before God, and that's okay, and that's good. And there's days of gathering and great joy and dancing and celebrating. And I know there's days where you come and you're like, I'm not even sure if I can come to worship because I just don't feel like it. And that's okay, you come. You come and you listen to everybody else who is gathered. And you see them and you let them be an encouragement to you that our God is great and that he is mighty and that he is good and that we are covered by his sacrifice, that we are named into his family, that we belong to him. So we welcome sinners from all tribes and nations because God welcomes us. You won't worship God if you think you can handle life on your own. You won't delight in him until you realize that he is enough for you. You won't know that Jesus is all you need until he's all you have. Steve and Lindsay were missionaries for a year in Tanzania. This was a decade or more ago. And he wrote this about the experience shortly after getting there. Soon after moving in, we began to see some of the hardships that go with living in Tanzania. For starters, there's dust and dirt everywhere. We have electricity rationing every day throughout the city. Sometimes our appliances don't work and my computer battery frequently dies. Because of the high rate of burglary here, we've had to get two guard dogs, affectionately named Smokey and the Bandit. After a few days, we discovered they like to bark all night and are covered with ticks and fleas and have copious amounts of worms. On the third day of living in our new house, I got tested and discovered that I had gotten malaria. If things weren't bad before, we reached a new low after my diagnosis. Despair settled in on both of us and we felt completely helpless. I was relying on myself and I was failing. One morning, as I was laying in bed, the words of 
my favorite song popped into my head and I silently mouth, thou lovely source of true delight. But as a question, not as a statement. I thought, is God my true delight? God was still in my life just as much as when I was in America and yet I felt so hopeless and out of control in Tanzania. And it dawned on me that I was trusting in my confidence and my ability to control my environment for my joy and sense of happiness. My depressed mood belied the fact that in my heart I thought I didn't need God because I knew I could succeed on my own. And as I was unable to function socially and physically, I felt lost and hopeless. My true delights were my own abilities, not God's redemption of my body and soul. I can't stress how revealing this was for me and what a valuable lesson it was to learn. I discovered that the source of my joy is found not in anything I am able to do, but freely from God. What a huge weight was lifted off my shoulders. Can you discover the source of your true delight is God himself? Greater than everything else. And when you discover that delight then be one who gathers and welcomes people and says, come, come, come. you got to know this God and how great he is. And he's your delight in your hardest days. So welcome. Welcome wounded. Welcome weary. Welcome broken. Welcome needy. Welcome sinners. Welcome to the club. Take on the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the God who is great and mighty, the God who comes to his people in need, who rescues us. We thank you that you are full of grace, abounding in mercy, slow to anger, and yet compassionate. Help us to be people delighting in you, rejoicing in you, shape our whole life, Lord, the totality of our being, to think after your thoughts, to feel loved and adored by you, and to walk in your ways. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.